Hello, is this Devin? Yes, hi. Devin, it's Stephanie Shriok over at Emily's List. Hi, so nice to speak to you. Welcome to Candidate, real conversations with women running for office. I'm your host, Devin Handy, and normally I host Hellbent Podcast, a political commentary show that approaches current events and public policy with a heavy intersectional feminist lens. But we've teamed up with Emily's List to introduce you to some of the women who are running for office in the 2018 midterm elections. Emily's List helps recruit, train, and support women running for office and has done so for the last 30 years. Since 2016, 40,000 women have reached out to run for every type of office, from local city council to the U.S. Senate. This week, I sat down with Emily's List VP of Communications, Christina Reynolds, and Emily's List President, Stephanie Shriok, to talk about why we see so many women running. And why this isn't just a moment, but a movement, a fundamental change in who is going to lead our country from here on out. Over the next 10 weeks, I'm going to bring you real conversations with these women. I'm going to bring you their stories told in their own words, their issues, their solutions, and their plans to change their communities and the country as a whole. It's my pleasure to introduce you to the future elected leaders of this country, because the future the very near future is female. I'm here with Christina Reynolds of Emily's List, and we're both so excited to be making this podcast. Hi, Devin. Yes, very, very excited to tell these women's stories. I think I want to start with why we decided to do a show like this in the run-up to the midterm elections. There's been a lot of news coverage about how this is, quote, the year of the woman, and there's so many female candidates running, and... It, it does feel revolutionary, doesn't it? It, it, it does because it is. Um, I think that we're going to make this, this cycle, this year, this election is, is going to make a big difference no matter what happens on Election Day. And right. I'm knocking on wood because we're going to win a lot of races on Election Day, and that's going to make a huge impact. But just showing um, women out there that anyone can, anyone can run. If you want to make your community better, then get up and tell your story and talk to your neighbors and knock on those doors and make it happen. And that's what so many of our women are doing. They're not your, they're not your average candidates and they don't come from the same backgrounds as, as what necessarily we're used to. They come from a, a wide variety of, of different backgrounds with different experiences. And I, you know, this came from the idea of being able to really let them tell their stories some. Yeah. I mean, it really is amazing because according to the Center for American Women in Politics, the number of Democratic women running for House seats has increased 146 percent over 2016. That's <laughs> 351 women are running right. <laughs> for housing. I mean, it's it's absolutely, like, like I said, revolutionary. I hate to repeat myself, but it, it really does feel amazing. And, and I, you know, part of what we're talking about in planning this series is that like you said, women generally stand up because they want to make change in their community. And it can be very scary, I think, for women to run for not just house seats, but even more local seats. And But that's really where you can start to affect real change. 
That's right. And, and here at Emily's List, we've focused on, we've always been about electing pro-choice Democratic women. Um, we, have, we have definitely, this cycle, we're focused on everything from mayor's races and state legislatures, which are so incredibly important, all the way up to Senate and governor. And we're seeing women at every level. And part of what I think happened on election day last year and in the aftermath was women saying, it's not, I can't wait. You know, right. this is, I'm not going to wait for someone else to do it. Someone has to do it, and, and I know I can. Right. And the bravery that that takes, the, you know, the, the willingness to stand up and take those barbs. And we watched Hillary's election, right? We right. saw that it can be hard, um, and you can have a lot come at you. And they're, and, and they're fearless, and they're fantastic, and they're, they're running, and their stories are really great. So right. it's exciting. Um, we know them because we work with them every day, but to to get a, an opportunity for them to tell them to break through a little bit of the the Donald Trump of it all, and right. what about this tweet, and what about this Russia thing, and it's all very important. I'm not discounting that, but it can be hard for people to really understand what these women are like when you don't work with them every day, and we wanted to let them tell a little more of their story. Right, and I actually wanted to talk a little bit about that, because something that was talked about a lot with Hillary Clinton in 2016 was this idea of authenticity, which mm-hmm. was a kind of a polite way of saying, well, I don't really like her. She's not authentic, whatever that means. Right. But I do right. think that there is value in, in telling your story and being honest and upfront with why you're running. And, and I, I think that that sense of authenticity can really add to a campaign. And mm-hmm. I, I think at least women that I've spoken to that are running just in, in the course of my work, I, I'm always floored by how, you know, how women's stories have really affect why they run and especially why they chose Mm -hmm. to run now. Because, Mm -hmm. yeah, because like you said, I mean, I've also talked to so many women who are, you know, eminently qualified to run for the U.S. Senate, let alone local office. And they'll say to me like, oh, you know what? I'm finishing up, you know, one last master's degree or I need like five more years of of expertise or, or uh, experience. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, I've talked to 25 year old guys who are like, yeah, I could be a senator. And I sure, just, right? why not? <laughs> why not? <laughs> you know, I'm like, you know, you have to be like 35. They're like, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. I can totally do this. You know, so mm-hmm. what, <laughs> so what, what do you think? What, what is that gap and why is it being filled now? At least from what you understand. I think, um, you know, I think that that, that gap is that for years, women have been told certain things and they've been, you know, they've, Part of it is, it's the old adage, right? You can't be it if you can't see it. Um, And so part of it is the difficult thing of, you know, God bless the trailblazers and the Barbara Mikulskis of the world and the, and the Hillary's and the Maxine Waters and the Shirley Chisholm's and, um, but, but there have not been enough of them and what they've had to face has been really tough. And I think that's been a hard thing. And I think that what's happening in our country right now, 
um, just overtook that that was a hard thing and made women realize, number one, if that guy can get elected president, (laughs) I know I can bring something to, you know, better to the table. Right. Um, That's it. You know, we may be setting a low bar there, but (laughs) but our women (laughs) more than meet that. Um, But also the idea that that different types of experience matter, that there's someone in office right now, and frankly, a Republican Congress backing him up all the way, that haven't lived the same life as these women, that don't, you know, when they talk about health care, they talk about policy, and they talk about the, you know, wonk, 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 wonk. And when our women talk about health care, they talk about, it's like Alyssa Slotkin, who talks about her mother getting, ca- you know, cancer, finding out very late because she was uninsured and she didn't go to the doctor enough. Right. They talk about, um, you know, Betsy Dirksen Londrigan, whose son had a tick-borne illness, and they had to give him last rites more than once. He's fine now, but Betsy talks about when you're in that moment, you don't think about what type of respirator they're using and will he ever be able to get health care again. Right. And they bring that powerful experience. Or they're, they're women like Abigail Spamberger um, or Mikey Sherrill, who served in the CIA and the Navy, respectively. Um, you know, those women bringing that experience in. It's Haley Stevens, who ran the auto recovery task force for Barack Obama. Um, it's those women saying, wait a minute, I have something to bring to the table. I've had experiences that might make me a good member of Congress, whether that's I've lived in my community and I know it, or I've served in some way that gives me interesting experience. They're they're looking at that and they're understanding that we actually need more of those voices in the policymaking process. And they're raising their hand to be that voice. Right. Well, and I also, I feel like on this vein and this idea of you can't be it if you can't see it, gender parity is obviously so important, but we're also talking to a lot of candidates that will represent groups other than women that are underrepresented or not represented in in government mm-hmm. at all. So LGBTQI women or uh, Native mm-hmm. American women or, you know, yep. women from, you, you know, non-traditional backgrounds, basically, that that don't normally get into political office. And I feel like all of that type of representation and all the, the different types of, of stories really – is is part of what makes so many women running feel especially important. It's not just that they're mm-hmm. women, it's that they're bringing something even more than just their gender. And and absolutely. I I think that's 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 absolutely right. And that's part of what's so inspiring about this group of women the it's it's the lives that they've led that are truly interesting and you know in some cases i mean i feel old talking to many of our (laughs) candidates you know we have we have lots of millennials and by the way i think there are maybe seven millennials in congress which is certainly not proportional representation right it's you you see it every time they you know there's a hearing with facebook right (laughs) and you realize hold on there aren't any young people in congress um, but you know we have we have young women. We have women who bring great experience. You know, lots lots of life experience to the table. We have um, 
our country has never elected a Native American woman to the House. Right. We're going to elect at least two this year. It's right. pretty exciting. Um, the, the LGBTQ caucus is incredibly small. And right now, there are no um, lesbians who are moms in Congress. Right. That's a different experience. Um, right. And we have Angie Craig and Lauren Baer, who are both phenomenal candidates. And, and you know, for Angie, she had to go through actually suing to get um, uh, to keep custody of, of her child. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, these are challenging issues. Um, they have led lives where they understand things that the mostly white dudes in Congress don't. It's so and true. And what, what if they were speaking for those people that they, that they know and that they've grown up with and that they can represent better? Yeah, what I what I feel like I've really seen the the sort of common denominator in a lot of these stories that we want to tell is that these are women who have interacted with law and policy in a very personal way. Like you mm-hmm. said, a, a woman who had to sue to to keep custody of her child or someone who's dealt with the healthcare industry in a non-abstract way. And That's right. You know, and, and it feels like a lot of times, you know, not not to be too um, cliche about it, but it feels like our lawmakers are sort of removed in almost an ivory yeah. tower type of governance where a lot of them haven't had to deal with the issues that they're legislating. Or or they don't think they've had to deal. I mean, I, I, right. I absolutely. And I think, you know, during the debate over Obamacare, I'm, I'm blanking now on which old white guy it was, but <laughs> I remember one of the senators saying, why should I have to pay for maternity care? Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to have a child. Um, and, you know, to that, I, I counter with, for example, we have a candidate, Cindy Axney in Iowa. Cindy couldn't afford the maternity coverage on her health care. And so when she got pregnant, she and her husband literally sold some of their personal belongings on eBay right. to pay for the hospital bill. Right. You know, that's a life experience that that Congress does. You know, they're they're debating whether or not maternity care needs to be included. And Cindy's actually lived it. Um, and that's something that I think will bring such a it'll bring a better debate, um, a more informed debate. And I think maybe a little more humanity um, yeah. to these to these policy discussions. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, you know, it, it also really feels important, not just electing progressive, pro-choice, democratic women, you know, but like you said, we have a president who is so, again, hate to be cliche, but unpresidential and a Congress and and a Senate that's backing him up. So flipping these seats democratic also means something larger. I mean, there's a lot at stake here, Mm -hmm. not just not just gender parity and representation, which I think are of the utmost importance, but, you know, taking back the house especially could mean something in terms of oversight and how we reshape the government over the next two years until the next presidential election. It's it's hugely important. Um, You know, it is something, one, holding Donald Trump accountable, what they are doing with the government from the small things, you know, from, um, and, from the corruption angle, from the policy angle, for all of that, holding them accountable is requires us to to win back Congress. 
Um, so that's incredibly important. That's also why we're fighting at, at the state level. Right. Because you look at things like, you know, here's hoping that um, Brett Kavanaugh doesn't get confirmed, but we still have a Supreme Court that leans right. And so when you have states that pass these bad laws, you know, if Roe gets overturned, we've got a number of states where, just like that, abortion is illegal. Right. And that's something where we want to we want to take a look and make sure that those um that in those states better policy is being made and take a look at who gets to vote secretaries of state positions like that are incredibly important we um we want to look at when redistricting comes up how do we get fair lines because we sure don't have them now so uh, you know this is it it is um important to take back these seats for Democrats, um, for our long-term, you know, for, for policy and for just our long-term, you know, I don't want to say survival, but, you know, for the for the betterment of the democracy, I think. Yeah, for the health of the democracy, I think. There you go. That's yeah. It, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I also want to take a quick second to talk about the fact that there really are fewer women in Republican politics as well. And mm-hmm. a lot of these surges that we talk about the year of the woman, it, it really is on the Democratic side of the aisle. And do you think that that's just an innate difference in in party values or is it or is it something else about the Democratic Party that's really pushing women to positions of of power? Um. So, well, I, I'd like to think it helps when you actually make a push to do it, which we do via <laughs> That's a good list. point. <laughs> um, so I would like to think that helps. Um, and, in, and I will say in years past, we've had to spend a lot of time doing recruitment and, you know, begging women to run for these races. Uh, this year's a little different. Um, and yeah. so the women are coming out. But I think that, one, I think our party clearly stands for um, issues that matter to many women beyond their reproductive freedom, where obviously there's a clear difference, things like health care, things like equal pay, things like civil rights in general um, are something that our party has a clear record on um, and is, is far better than the Republicans. So I think that's one reason that you see it. And I think that we are a party that, that is better. Listen, nobody's perfect. Everybody has room to improve here. But better at respecting women, respecting that, that experience, respecting the desire to have more voices at the table and to have um, our elected officials and, and, and you know legislative bodies look more like America. That's something that our side believes and their side is not does not super not super interested in that <laughs> not super interested no yeah. that's right that's right <laughs> yeah well and and i also think that you know i think if we are really looking at who the base of the democratic party is and and who who it hit who it hasn't really become but who it always has been who we're now elevating so women and people of color and particularly black Mm -hmm. women who have really Mm -hmm. done a lot of the the work the on the ground work to to get progressive candidates elected and and really understanding that our base is more is less old white guys (laughs) and more (laughs) you know and more women and people of color. I mean, I feel like, I, you know, we were seeing as, you know, the Democratic Party makes the most gains and the most inroads in places where we really give power and, and hand over, you know, some of this power to our base, which is 
black women have really been driving democratic mm-hmm. politics for the last 18 months and i i think the the sooner everyone understands that the better every ev- the better, <laughs> better yeah, off everyone's right. going to be <laughs> so that's right and and the sooner they recognize you know um we've never elected a black woman um governor yeah and that's terrible um we we need to work on that period but we've got a great first option for you in in <laughs> stacy abrams yes. and so the sooner um people recognize uh the need to support women like stacy the the better off we are and stacy's a force of nature so she makes that argument pretty well for herself but right. um but yes. that's something that i think you're right i mean this is the 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 base of our party our most reliable voters and and in many ways the conscience of our party um we should be electing more of them we would we would do far better with with more women um and especially more black women in office yeah absolutely so i'm i am just so excited to to tell these women's stories and to give to have a platform to again not just talk about you know, policy on a wonky level, which I love. Don't get me wrong. I love getting granular with, <laughs> sure, the, sure. with, the, with the policy. But I, I mean, I think when, when it comes to things like healthcare and when it comes to things like immigration and, you know, these very emotional subjects, you know, where there's this idea in politics that you have to remove yourself from that or you have to be so objective or so unbiased which mm-hmm. i is is to me is a myth there's no such thing as an unbiased person there's no such thing as that's right someone who doesn't have an emotional attachment and so i feel like if we can shift the way we talk about politics even a little bit to include more personal stories to un, to to make it real to legislate on a more real level and i think that's what i'm most excited about with all of these women running and being able to talk to them and and giving them a, a way to to tell us not just what they think of it on a policy level but also what it means for them and their communities um i i, I couldn't agree more and i can't wait to hear your conversations with them because they're pretty fantastic. I feel lucky every day I get to come in and work, do a little bit of work for these women, and I hope that uh, people enjoy getting to hear their stories. Later in this episode, I get to talk to Stephanie Shriok about Emily's List and the work that you all are doing with these women, and I could not be more excited, and I, I can't wait to get started. So, Christina, I'm so excited that we're working on this project together. Same here. Thanks so much, Devin. Thank you. Hello, is this Devin? Yes, hi. Devin, it's Stephanie Shriok over at Emily's List. Hi, so nice to speak to you. 40,000 women reached out about running after the 2016 election. <laughs> so... Um, every day. That, I mean, like, it's, they reach out every day. It's amazing. So I was talking to Christina a little bit about this, and she was saying in years past, you've had to beg women to run. So what, what happened? Well, it is... Uh, I mean, it's a really interesting moment. And I will tell you, uh, to me, who's been running Emily's List you know, for eight and a half years and the organization's been doing this work for three decades, I was completely surprised by it. Right. <laughs> I, would like, I would like to say, oh, I totally saw this coming. No, no, right. no, I did not. Um, so really what happened is it was uh, at first an, a reaction to the Trump victory, right? Uh, combined with the Hillary loss, I, I always call it the one-two punch. I think you had you know thousands and thousands of activist women who were 
counting on Hillary Clinton becoming president and being very filled with emotion about that moment. And then it didn't happen. Right. And not only did she lose, she lost to that guy, like of all people, to Donald Trump. And and that moment uh, triggered activism and marching and organizing, but it also triggered a desire to take charge of one's own destiny and run for office. And so we had women calling up immediately after the 2016 election saying, I want to run. I may not know for what. Right. <laughs> I may not know exactly how this works, but I got to do something. I got to do it for my community. And and the cycle before, the entire cycle of 2015 and 16, Emily's List had talked to about 920 women, mm-hmm. which was one of the best cycles we've ever had for the number of women running for office. Right. And we surpassed that number in four weeks. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, was, it was so mind-blowing. Uh, and like I said, it's now over 40,000. It is every single day. I mean, I, there has not been a day that a group of women didn't show up on our website and say, yep, I've decided this is my day. I want to run for office. Let me know what I need to do. Right. Every single day. It's extraordinary. And um, it is why I, in fact, get to work at the best place in American politics now because it's so inspiring. Right. Well, so I want to I, – I, I kind of hate the media narrative – is this a moment or a movement? And I, I that language always feels a little <laughs> gross to me. But, but I mean, do you think that the, I, you said people keep reaching out every day? So it's, you know, 2015, 16, it was 920. We're at 40,000. Does this feel like a, a, a watershed where it's there's like a shift and things are changing and women are going to keep reaching out? Does it feel like that energy has sustained itself? Yeah, yes, yeah. absolutely. You know, we often refer to it here as a sea change uh, moment here. Because I, I believe that once that seed of running for office is planted, it starts growing immediately. Like, it doesn't go away. It's not like you had a, a quick moment of it and then it's completely gone. It means, like, it just starts sprouting roots and then it keeps on growing. Yeah. And, and you're thinking, you know, should I run for city council or maybe I can't run right now. I got to finish school or I'm having a job change or maybe I want my kids to be a little bit older or I want kids or whatever it is. You know, because we're planners, right? Right. I mean, right. <laughs> women. Totally. Women are planners. We're planners. Um, but the fact that that has been, it, it been sparked in their minds says to me that this is not about one year it is about the next decades yeah. of candidates in this country, and it's contagious, and it's exactly what we needed after, the, as I've said, Emily's List work of three decades of sitting down and encouraging and persuading and, as you said earlier, begging <laughs> to, to run for office. Uh, now we have over 40,000 who are over that first obstacle. Right. Right. Now, there are other obstacles, but they're over the first one, and that's huge. That is truly, truly a a sea change moment. Yeah. So have have many women spoken about the the impact of Hillary Clinton's campaign because it was a it was a it was a tough campaign to run. It was a tough campaign to watch, and she got dragged 
through the mud in a lot of ways and she took a lot and you know kind of had to really deal with a lot more than we demand of our male politicians or male or men running for office did that has that scared women or has that energized them has it given them something to you know push back on well and and you uh bring up one of my what was my biggest concern following the 2016 election is I, I remember very vividly having a conversation with our founder and chair of our board following Hillary's loss and me saying, oh, my gosh, are women going to be willing to run anymore? Right. I mean, I literally, I, like, that was my concern. I mean, I, they proved me wrong. Right, <laughs> right, obviously. <laughs> uh, but, but I was really, really concerned about that because – uh, it was so challenging, and nothing was ever right for Hillary Clinton. Like right. she just couldn't catch a break the entire time, and it's always something, you know, just always, always something. But what what I have seen in this empowered group of women who are stepping up to run is they saw that, and they recognize that there are some challenges. Uh, but that being said, they want to prove everybody wrong. Mm. And so they're just pushing through it. They're just like, I'm just going to go and do this and get this done and make this happen. Uh, and that's that's what's working here. And, yes, they deal with questions. You know, so many of our candidates with, with little kids, mm. I mean, they get asked all the time, well, who's going to take care of your kids if you win? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, men, men do not get asked that question. They really, <laughs> that really don't. They no, really don't. No. You know, I've got a gubernatorial candidate, uh, Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan, who talks about people coming up to her and asking her if she's going to run as a woman. Right. <laughs> You're like, I mean, as opposed like, to I what? I that means. Right. <laughs> <laughs> as opposed to running as oh, a like, lizard? Like, I, I don't understand right, the question. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, so there's just sort of these, you know, and that's sort of just the, like, right in front of you, but there are all these other things because for so many voters you know they still haven't seen women in leadership positions in a lot of places in this country i mean over 20 states have never had a woman governor right ever right of either party and so we are still um you know we're still role modeling not just for other women but for americans like this is what you know, well-rounded democracy looks like when you have equal numbers of women and men at the decision-making table. We're far from that, but but every time we add a few more women, whether it's a few more women mayors or governors or county commissioners or legislators, it's a little bit more of an example to everybody that you get better policy for it. Right. Yeah, you you mentioned the sort of first obstacle of getting women to agree to run or, or say, okay, I can do this and planting that seed. So what's the, what's the next obstacle? What's the next thing that women run into? Uh, it, it varies, uh, but they often, uh, they often get stalled a little bit with regard to how I'm going to put together the resources. Mm-hmm. You know, and that, that's a, that's a challenge for any candidate, uh, right. but it is an extra burden uh, for women, uh, one, as I often say, you know, the first thing we do when we're teaching people to raise money 
uh, is that you start with your friends and your family and those you're closest to. And then like, so if you're a woman candidate and you're talking to your friends and your family and your friends are probably a lot of women who just make less than their male counterparts in this country. So you just literally started a deficit because of, of how the salary and income system of the country works. You know, so the money is daunting, uh, and it's daunting not just to raise it, but it's also the sacrifice of what you're doing for work. Now, some offices you can run and and work full time, right. but those offices are like city council in some places, right. are city councils, maybe in you know maybe for the legislature, some county offices. Well, once you get into a house race or a U.S. Senate race or a governor's race, you're talking about a full time job just to be a candidate and so the financial burden to the family is also very real and so we really walk through that um, and try to get support around around women as much as we can because the other thing they're also factoring in is what does this do to my family right and that and family defined as women define family which is what does it mean for my kids my spouse my parents my grandparents because so often you know that you know the woman is the one who's the is you know the the keeper of all of this, and they really want to think through what the all of the effects are going to be. Now I tease them all the time, like, "Well, come, to, we'll we'll talk it through." Because I got to tell you, I've got an example of everything. <laughs> 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 I have got an example for you. If you, you know, I will get questions about recruiting for the U.S. House, right. and. I've had I've had women candidates or or potential candidates I should say say okay I'm really close here but what do I do now she reverse question what am I going to do with my kids when I win am I going to put them in schools in Washington D.C. or am I going to keep them at home right. and they want to know the answers to that before they run they right. don't figure out that somebody's just going to help me figure it out which you know for again for men that's often what the case is. Yeah, there's so this assumption you know, that someone's going to figure we're it out. To, we're planners. Right. We're planners. Right. We've got to have it all figured out before we go. And uh, and that's what we do at Emily's List, though, and that's what we've been doing for three decades is, you know, you, you tell me you want to run, and I'll have you sit down with my team, and we'll start figuring out, you know, what kind of office and how you start putting those pieces together. This isn't complicated. We're not talking about, talking about rocket science here. Like, right. really, truly, you just have to know what the pieces of the puzzle are. We can teach that, and you can put those together, and you can start your your service uh, for the public at any level. Yeah. And it's doable. It is doable for anybody. Yeah. You know, I talk to so many women who will say things like, oh, I want to run, but I feel like I need five more years of experience or I need to finish my second master's degree. Someone said that to me and I was like, you are overqualified. You are overqualified. Stop it. You're overqualified. Yes. You know, but I, yes. I do hear that so much and I and I feel like that is definitely so, so daunting in this, this planning aspect, you know, like what do I do? Yeah. What, how can I, how can I plan for every possible availability moving forward where I do feel like with male candidates are like meh we'll figure it out or often like yeah. my spouse will figure out what to do with the kids right like that's just yeah, the assumption exactly <laughs> right? that's exactly right and it's not dissimilar right from the academic studies that we've seen about um, uh, about getting or, or applying for jobs 
Right. Right. Where you see the research where, you know, a woman looks at a job description and says, oh, I only have 90% of the, those qualifications, so I'm not going to apply. And right. then the man looks at the job description. And I'm like, and is like, ah, oh, 10%, close enough. Yeah. Do you know how many, like, 28-year-old male friends I have? They're like, I could be a senator. I'm like, no, you could oh, absolutely totally. not be. And they're like, no, no. Yeah. I could totally be a. I'm like, what is wrong with you? Um, <laughs> but but yeah, but I, always, I was like, and then, like they need a little less of that, and we need a little more. more of it, right? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I would say, with this, what's so good right now is with all of these women who are coming in to say, I want to do this. They're feel they're still. I'm not saying that's gone, right? But there's an openness to going. Okay, wait a second. Like, yep. I can do this. Right. And the truth is, we need the varying you know, experiences. Right. We don't need all of the... You know, if everybody was the same background, like if every elected official was a PhD and a lawyer, right? we would not have balanced policies. Like, we actually need a teacher and a right. stay-at-home mom and a scientist and a lawyer. You know, we need all of those right. uh, professions and backgrounds to get to better policy. Right. So it's your own experience that you've had in your life that is what we need, actually. That is what we need. Right, right. Well, and, and I, I think last, we you touched on it very briefly, but, you know, in places like Michigan, where we're looking at all-female tickets for statewide office for the Democratic Party. And it in this, this moment, it just feels very much like a touchstone, like that's it's sort of this new revolutionary feeling um but as we creep closer to gender parity, I mean, I, I feel like that's just going to keep opening and opening. And has that also affected women who want to run? Do they look at those sort of things and say, oh, well, it's possible now? I sure like to think so. Uh, you know, we've always we have seen in states historically where we've had successes, particularly at the statewide level, you know, a state that has had a woman governor excuse me, or states where who have elected women senators, we often see an uptick mm. in the number of women running for the legislature. So it's a little anecdotal, but, but we have sort of seen those numbers increase. Like Washington State's a good example where, where we have two women senators. Um, we had a woman governor uh, for an eight-year until she was termed out. Uh, so for a brief moment, the, the three biggest positions in Washington State were all women, and we really did see that spur, you know, a lot of energy among women in the state to run for local offices. And we see that in New Hampshire all the time where you've got Senator Jean Shaheen and Senator Maggie Hassan. And, of course, Maggie Hassan was governor beforehand, right. you know, where you've had a lot of strong women at the top of the state. And we have a great – It's frankly, it's easier to recruit. There's a lot of women who are interested in running. Right. Uh, and so that really does matter. You know, the role modeling, the seeing it to you, you know, you got to see it to believe it. Right. Mantra, I think there's a lot to that. So I just I'm so excited to speak to all of these women to get their stories and to like just you know really show people that that these women are are not just running but th- like you said they're running to win and and yes. you know we're we're not here to play we're, we're here to win. <laughs> No, and that's that's so true, and that is another part of why I feel like we do have the best jobs here at Emily's List because we meet these extraordinary women yeah. all the time. They're so diverse in in race and profession and geography. They're bringing such different interests to all of this, 
and they, you better believe they're in it to win, and they're serious, and because they're busy, because they're raising their families, right. they, they go and get the job done. Hey, I got a million other things I got going on. <laughs> we're going to go in there. We're going to fix the place. I'm going to roll up my sleeves. We're going to get it done. Yep. And no more of this BS. Let's just get it done. Exactly. And I think that's what the voters, I mean, I believe that's what the voters want more than anything right now. Right. Folks who are willing to get in there, get a little dirty, but get it done, find solutions. Because we don't have time for this constant bickering right. that's going on. And I think these women are going to bring a really fresh uh, set of energy to the whole process at every level of government. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Stephanie, thank you so much for sitting down with me and and talking about these amazing women. And I can't wait to introduce them and their stories over the next 10 weeks. Oh, I just think it's great. Thank you for doing this. And you, I I hope you end up as inspired as I am every day when you talk to these women. I'm sure you will. I absolutely will. So thank you so much. You bet. Thank you. Take care. I look forward to spending the next 10 weeks with you all talking to these women, hearing their stories, and introducing you to the issues, the plans, and the solutions. So join us every week from here until Election Day, November 6, 2018. Make sure you're registered. Check in with these women and get inspired by them and their stories. See you next week on Candidate, real conversations with women running for office. Canada is produced by Hellbent Media and Emily's List. It's produced by myself, the team at Emily's List, and a special thank you to our producer, Varsha Venkatasubaranium, for lots of research and interview help. You can find more at hellbentmedia.com or at emilyslist.com. You can follow us at Emily's List or Hellbent Pod. Get involved, get excited, and hear the stories. We'd love to hear from you. So please tell us what you think. Remember to subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Be sure not to miss even one of these amazing stories.